in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Dustin Melvartis, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I am your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Mr. Chad Robinson from right here in the Steel City of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. How you doing, sir? I am like Jesse Spano excited when uh, caffeine pills saved by the bell era. Like I am so excited for today. Big hair excited? Absolutely. I'm not scared at all, though. Not like Jesse. Okay. And uh, I'm excited, too, because we have a first time guest on the show. That always makes me excited. Mr. Ryan Rebulkin. How you doing, sir? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on and inviting me to uh, come on to your show. It's always very uh, humbling when people invite me to come on to their show, and I hope I do well by you guys. Well, this is a treat because this is a crossover as well. Ryan, you host Rocky One More Round. Also, Rambo, It's a Long Road. Both of these are great podcasts. I sometimes consider us a deep dive, but if you feel like you want to go deeper than deep, like journey to the center of the world deep ryan tell us about these podcasts here oh sure so yeah i do one more round the rocky series podcast and i do that with a guest co-host next sorry, guest co-host she's going to hear this again so mad at me permanent co-host katie and kyle and of course you guys had katie i believe on your mystic pizza mm-hmm. episode that's right. And uh, she's uh, nothing but wonderful. So is Kyle, but I mean, Katie's the best. And uh, then I also do uh, the Rambo series podcast called It's a Long Road. And I do that with uh, my co-host Dom. He kind of came in season four for the last two films. We're currently on the last film right now. So basically both both franchise podcasts, what we do is we cover each film in order. And we do it in chronological order. So we actually talk about you know, whatever scenes, five, ten minute periods of movie time discuss those scenes, you know, have some fun banter regarding that. And we're pretty tight on it. So if you're one of those listeners that wants a, uh, a movie podcast, and it, you know, it's light on banter, absolutely. But we do focus on the scenes, talk about the actors, talk about the scenes, the meanings of things. And But we have a lot of fun doing this. So we don't go on too many tangents, but though they do occur. It's a, it's a deep dive, like you said, but it's fun. And uh, invite anyone that's a fan of Rocky Ramble to join us, absolutely. All right. Well, then, so you are a Stallone specialist, then? Well, yeah, yeah. He, he did a movie called The Specialist. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, Sylvester Stallone, long story short, he was my, my film icon hero growing up. I was born in 1975, so I was really at that perfect age where, I, you know, the Ramble, the Rockies, all those action films of the 80s, you know, of course, the Arnold films, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Um, I was just, a, yeah, I just was around when all that was happening, and... Uh, Despite the flaws of all these films and of these individuals in real life, it doesn't matter. They're my film icon heroes, and that's what they are. So, yeah, it's fun to uh, dig a little bit deep into their film. We will have to have you back to do Stallone proper because the only Stallone we've had on the show is Weird Al and UHF dressed as <laughs> Stallone oh, wow. Wow. parodying it. So we need to actually get Mr. Stallone in here in one way, shape, or form or another. Sure. 
So 200 episodes and we haven't cl- covered a Sly film. Man. That's weird. That is odd, actually. Wait. It's, I'm getting rusty. Judge Dredd. We did there get the blown in there. Yeah, the oh, three wow. specials. Okay. Well, so. what, what a film to cover. <laughs> there's, there's room for more, though. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. I still haven't figured out what those three seashells are for either. So, um, ah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Chad, just to break some ice here. This is the opening part of the show. What's a movie that didn't get a sequel, but you feel like should have? You know what they were trying to make a sequel and things happened and the scripts kind of in development hell so behind the mask the rise of leslie vernon that was a surprise for a lot of the people on our podcast people really enjoyed it and it makes me sad that they couldn't get the sequel to work they're still kind of trying i'm crossing my fingers but it's sadly never been picked up well that was a lot of fun when you covered that one on the show i'm glad you introduced that one to me so uh <clears throat> Not a well-known show, but I like how Chad keeps plugging away at it. So see that movie, though, especially with Halloween season. That's a great uh, – I, I have one. I have one. It came to me. Um, uh, it's not really – I, I kind of get why I didn't get a sequel. It actually got a, um, uh, a Netflix spin or Netflix dive into it, which I haven't seen yet because I really enjoyed um, the, the, the movie version of it. I thought it was very well done, and I thought Jim Carrey – uh, did a very good job. That's Lemony Snicket uh, film, and it's disappointing that it didn't get the proper series that it should have gone. Because I think he killed it. It was an, it was not a series of unfortunate events. It was just one unfortunate event. <laughs> yes, that's right. It was a series of an, of an unfortunate event. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's probably not the best answer, but that's one that uh, kind of came to my mind of like a, something that was meant to be. The, the, it was meant to be a series. It was meant to be uh, a sequel added to it, but it just didn't have the problem because of finances. Well, I'm actually on a very similar line to you. Oh. Chad's heard me say this before, but the American version of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo with Rooney Mara. Oh, that's a perfect Craig. one. That's a perfect one. Yes, I agree. That's another great example. Yeah. It's really it's two two really great books that we didn't even touch. Didn't do. Agreed. And they kind of I tried like to it. do a soft, weird, like, reboot. It's more like a sidestep tangent. Yeah, they did, did they do a foreign language one or something? Like a proper trilogy or something? There's a Swedish version with Numi Rapace uh, that, that's, that's right. out there, but I mean, for you know, I I really think that the American one did a great job. They spent a gajillion dollars on it, and it's a very well done film. It's just well done, and I'm sad that it didn't make enough money to come back. I like and your do answer it better, again, but um, I agree with you. I like your answer better. I'm going to go with that one too. That's I got one for the kids and one for the adults. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, a series of unfortunate events. So, um, but uh, all right. Now, Chad, what's the last movie you saw? So this is the second Dracula movie of 2023 for me. I watched The Last Voyage of the Demeter. That is based off of one single chapter in Bram Stoker's Dracula novel. You know what? They're trying to make Dracula scary again. I am supportive. They're kind of setting up a series here. I don't know how I feel about that. But the new characters are pretty cool. Definitely worth checking out. Yeah. What's it called again? What she said? The Last Voyage of the Demeter. I've never heard of it. That's weird. Okay, and I'm a not a huge horror. Guy. Actually, no, I love horror films, but I admit I'm a little bit uh, a little bit lost in a lot of the new films that come out. But uh, don't I'm worry, about it. it doesn't have Stallone in it. Oh, stop it! Come on, I see films outside of Stallone. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then uh, Ryan, how about you? What was the last movie you saw? Uh, well, we we as a family went and saw the uh, latest uh, Indiana Jones film recently uh, in the theater. And uh, I, I had my kids binge or marathon the first four films. 
Uh, it was a really interesting experience because they hadn't seen the films and we they got to watch it. They got to watch, you know, of course, Harrison Ford, the actor, age very quickly <laughs> in front of their eyes. And uh, yeah, but it, it was neat to watch it with them because with kids, the youngest were nine-year-old twins and the oldest was a six-year-old. And it was it was fun to watch with them because they didn't have any like judgment about even part four. To them, it was just a fun film. Like They didn't have this nostalgic hold over what should have been or could have been. They just watched the films as a fun adventure films, and uh, they enjoyed all five. And it was just fun to watch the films with them. And so that was the last one I saw in the theaters. And I thought it was a great ending to the uh, to the franchise. I think they're just fun. I think if people let go of the whole, nothing will be as good as the original trilogy, sure. But the last two films, they're fun adventure films. I think people are a little bit too critical of them, quite frankly. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, we have been critical on Crystal Skull, probably. On what's your biggest complaint? What's your biggest complaint about? It? I'll challenge you a little bit if 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 your answer is what I think it's going to be. What's your biggest? I feel, complaint? I feel like it was heavy induced CGI. Like when sure. they're like battling with like machetes on top of like jeeps, like swinging sure. from vines, yeah. like Tarzan style. <laughs> Indiana Jones hadn't totally left the like the physics of reality at any point like you know you were on motorcycles you were fighting you were doing these things but that you know there were stuntmen doing these things so i felt like the look of those moments as well as okay we're asking we're asking a lot of a stuntman can't do these things you can't literally stand on top of a jeep right. and have like a swashbuckling so that's probably one of my biggest gripes of like i got through the refrigerator scene and said you know what i can sure. I, I can sit through this yeah sure i'm i'm on board it's indiana jones i'll take this and then once that came around i'm just like uh, uh oh the sci-fi <laughs> sci realm is where it ended for me i mm -hmm. just that's not what I want in Indiana Jones. And I understand there we, we've got some mysticism, especially Temple of Doom. There's a lot of sure. things that you kind of have to just check your brain out for and be like, sure, yeah, that's going to happen. This was a, it was just a bridge too far for me. I, oh, sure. I thought you were, were going to say, Chad, just Shia LaBeouf, period. You're, you're very hard on him always. So. I, I think he's in with Fry. Fry. Shia LaBeouf is fine. He, okay. I, I don't have a problem. And the last movie I saw was superman from 1978 with christopher reeve and marlon brando and margot kidder and my little man has been into superheroes hardcore this movie uh did did wonders for me at age four he liked it um i don't know that it was as magical for him as it was for me but he did like it so yeah so it uh it's an interesting movie to come back to and see that as an adult there's parts of it that i can acknowledge that here in this marvel era have certainly aged but i it's also there had been superhero movies before that one none of them were on that level before so it's really ahead of its time at the same time even though it has also aged so it's kind of interesting to see that those that push and pull between viewing it from a modern lens that's fair yeah yeah i mean there's a, there's an entire the early x-men's i know you're hard on blade uh things like that before we really hit the groove with the marvel cinematic universe there's an interesting era but yeah you're you're 20 years prior to even though that universe yes. yeah absolutely and christopher reeves awesome superman I, I i i just think that's one of those best superhero castings it's just really sure. great. Yeah. so today though chad what movie are we going to cover today we are doing for two 230th episode gladiator from 2000 all right as you said this is gladiator it stars russell crowe joaquin phoenix connie nielsen oliver reed 
Derek Jacoby star in this movie. Its budget is $103 million. It's expensive, but it surpasses its budget in only two weeks. It grosses $187.7 million domestically alone. It places it fourth on the box office in the year, coming in just ahead of What Women Want, which, yeah, that, that movie grosses that much of the money. And then just yeah. behind Mission Impossible 3. I'll defend it. It's a good movie. Well, they found out what women want, and women showed up to the theater. It was Mel yeah. Gibson. Yeah. And, and then also, the number one movie in 2000 was How the Grinch Stole Christmas. So IMDb gives Gladiator an 8.5. Rotten Tomatoes critics give it an 80%. And the audience score is an 87%. Some of these are trending a little bit lower than I might have expected, because this is a five-time Oscar winner. It wins Best Picture, Best Actor for Russell Crowe, Best Costume Design, Best Visual Effects, Best sound. This is the first best picture, though, to win an Oscar for best picture, but to not win either for writing, direction, uh, either one of those. So this is really strange. The last time that that had happened was 1949 with All the King's Men. Chicago had the same dilemma in 2002. So it is still unusual. It got nominated for best director. Best Supporting Actor to Joaquin right. Phoenix, Best Original Screenplay, Best Art Direction, Best Cinematography, Best Film Editing and Original Score. It's a two-time Golden Globes winner. Wins, sorry, three other Golden Globes nominees. It's three BAFTA winners. Ten more of those uh, for nominees. Critics' Choice Award winner. Best Picture, Best Actor again, Best Supporting Actor. All that just amazing. These Critics' of Choice Award nominee. Saturn Award nominee six times. Screen Actors Guild Awards nominee three times. The AFI does not have it on the list, but in 2003, the 100 year Heroes and Villains Maximus is listed at 50. So in 2007, it was nominated for the top 100 movies. In 2005, for best movie quotes, it had father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance and this life or the next. Which Russell Crowe hated and refused to say. Well, it's good. Good actors make bad decisions sometimes, so I'm glad they made them say it. So uh, 100 film scores, it was nominated. It's a good score here. It didn't make the list in 2005 when they made that list for AFI. And 100 cheers for most inspirational movies. I can see why it might not make that list, but I mean, it's certainly great. But you know who didn't feel like this was great? Ebert gave it just two stars. He said it lacks joy. It employs depression and a substitute for personality. Uh, he believes that... Uh, characters are bitter and morose enough that we won't notice how dull they are so Oof. i mean that's that's pretty scathing for two I, he's on a four-star scale too so that's average like that sounds like he hates it so where are you ryan were you with the accolades that love this movie or are you with the critics here who seemingly are a little bit cool on it well i love this film i mean it's uh it's a four out of four ten out of ten whatever your ranking is it's um i, I I, I love epic films. I've I love this type of film. I saw it in the theaters when it came out. Um, I didn't know who Russell Crowe was at the time when I saw it in the theaters. I know he did L.A. something L.A. What was it called? A confidential. LA confidential. I think I may have seen it. I think I may have seen that film before seeing this, but I didn't know who he was. Right. Uh, Russell Crowe was thirty six at the time during this film, and I just I left that movie. Well, I left in tears. I was crying like a baby. <laughs> It, it's just it's everything and uh, i know you got some questions here for it, but at the end of the day uh yeah this is a perfect film and i absolutely love it love everything about it yeah do you feel like it's holding up for you well absolutely absolutely i mean i just saw it again yesterday to happily refresh 
my feelings on the film. And uh, there's always things I miss and things, you know, oh, I didn't quite catch that dialogue or whatever it is. And, oh, yeah, this is a, this is an absolute classic. It, uh, even the older CGI that they use in some parts for the crowds or whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, it, it just it sounds beautiful, looks beautiful. And I think it's, I think it's a reminder of where films or what films aren't doing anymore. We're not getting these epic type films. I don't, I, I miss this. I miss this type of filming. And yeah. 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 Now, Chad, what about you? Had you seen Gladiator before? I'm saying this knowing. Yes. <laughs> yes, I have. Uh, this is a movie. I wasn't allowed to watch R-rated movies prior to age 18. I wasn't 18 when this came out. But one of my friends uh, did have Gladiator. They had it on DVD, and I got to watch it at his house. This is a movie that I don't really feel should be rated R. It's got some pretty cool and pretty gnarly kills. But other than that, it, no strong language or anything. No, this is ratings are terrible. It doesn't make it doesn't make sense. Like this is the same rating as like super bad, right? You know, it does. It's two different types of yeah. It's yeah. just some violence. I actually showed it to my kids. They watched it with me yesterday. I'm not gonna lie to you. My nine year old and twelve year old boy watched it with me, and they, and they loved it. Um, there's sure there's some blood, but it's not over the top at all. Right. There's there's no nudity. There's oh. nothing like that. This is something I feel like I could have watched with my parents at age 16 and oh, they would have yes. been okay with. Oh, yes. But, you know, those early R-rated that you get before you're of age, those stay with you. And so that's part of it. And another part... Maybe I was just a bad parent too. Who knows? The other part, and Russell and I have talked about this, I really like the sword and sandal genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Ben Hur goes over very, very well. Uh, a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. I love so these settings. I really, really enjoy. I have a passion for ancient Rome. I absolutely think this holds up. It's a movie. It's almost three hours long. You'll hear Dustin and myself have this refrain of ninety-minute movies. This is one of the exceptions. I can just I can watch it all the time. I just have it on repeat. It doesn't feel like three hours. I just enjoy every scene. So yes, it holds up. Yes, I love it. And I'm so happy we finally get to cover it. Yeah, and I'm going to start to sound like a broken record. I love this movie. I I have enjoyed this movie. I saw it when it came out in theaters. My parents were not as jazzed with it as I was, but I was certainly pleased. And I do like my ancient history as well. And ancient Rome is definitely one of those parts that, you know, I certainly like that chapter of history as well. And... I also was enamored with it. I mean, I knew who Russell Crowe was from other performances, but this is the one that makes you sit there and go like, I'm not going to forget who Russell Crowe is. You know, like I, I now know who Russell Crowe is for sure now. And uh, I like him a lot as an actor. Uh, he's had a couple of missteps, but I think everybody has. When oh, there's not an actor. I, I hate when people say that about it. Not that you did, but just there's not one actor on the planet that has a, done a crappy movie. Not one. Right. Yeah. There's, so, it's impossible. Fanboys makes the joke of Harrison Ford. He's never had a bad movie. As oh, they, please. As they pass uh, 40 Days and 40 Nights or something. Yes. Yeah. Uh, what was the other one he did? That horror one? What was that one called again? What Lies Beneath? Yes. Oh, was excuse. That. Uh, what, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Excuse us. Well, I mean, uh, John Cazell technically can say that, but I mean, he died early. So, you know. <laughs> yes yes every film he has is oscar winner oh, yeah wow. yeah he only was like in like six movies and <laughs> he got nominated for a ridiculously i don't know he's it's an impressive go look it up it's uh yes. it's amazing yeah so, I, I think i know who you're talking about yeah 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 dying dying prematurely definitely yes 
as a part of that. That doesn't count. You got to have a 30 year career. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but this movie is aging incredibly well. It has great rewatch value. I think it's got that special dynamic that when a bunch of guys get around and want to watch a movie, this has like this. This is a crowd movie that you can sit around and cheer together. It also gets the feels in there enough too that I think that you can definitely say that this is in the upper echelon of quote unquote dude movies or guy movies for sure. So um, certainly I don't know if the female audience is as excited for this one, but I just know so many guys in particular who just... Yeah, I think it's both. I took... It's funny, I, I was 25 when this came out, and uh, so I think... I don't know who I saw with the first time, but I loved it so much I went again, but I took my mom to, to the second viewing, and of course, some of the violent moments, she kind of, ooh, you know, you know, at the time, but it wasn't like she was appalled by the violence, she just gets very... Um, Visceral violence can get her. Uh, like she gets turned around and go. It's an R-rated movie, Mom. See? Yeah, yeah, that's right. But she she couldn't leave the seat at the end of the film. She was. Uh, I don't think she'll. I don't know if she'll listen to this episode. She listens to everything I do. But uh, this isn't to embarrass her. But she was such a so emotional at the end of the movie. It took her like five minutes to get out of the seat to compose herself because she, she was just so the tears and the emotions she was feeling about that ending, which is just. I mean, I love that, and we'll talk about it. But I just. Yeah, she couldn't leave the theater for a bit. <laughs> she had to compose herself. So she loved the film, by the way. So I think there's a huge female. I think there's a huge female base for this film, quite frankly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now um, we will spoil this movie. Of course. Spoilers that lie ahead. So we will be back after these messages. If you have not seen Gladiator, do see it, and we will be back after this. Welcome to the All Eighties Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, we're back, and this is your final warning. There will be spoilers that lie ahead. Chad, for those who haven't seen Gladiator since 2000 or since ancient Rome, do you want to refresh people's memories? General Maximus Decimus Meridius has helped lead a successful campaign against the Germanic tribes and plans to return home after nearly three years. The Emperor Marcus Aurelius is dying and tells Maximus in a private meeting that he wishes Maximus to become regent and restore Rome to a republic. He conveys the same message to his son Commodus, who takes it poorly to say the least, and smothers his father. Commodus is proclaimed emperor and has the Praetorian Guard arrest Maximus and kill his family. Maximus escapes his execution but finds his wife and son crucified at his home, where he's abducted by slavers. He's then sold to a gladiator trainer named Proximo, who was a former gladiator himself. Maximus becomes an extremely popular gladiator and gets a chance to compete in the games that Commodus has set up in an attempt to win over the people. Maximus competes in a helmet in front of Commodus, but then is commended at the end of his fight and is forced to reveal himself to the shocked emperor. 
Maximus attempts to gather his troops that are still loyal to him, but the plan is foiled and Maximus is captured. Commodus stabs Maximus while he's chained up and tells him that they will fight in front of the people. Maximus gains the strength to kill the emperor when the Praetorian Guard refuses to help Commodus. He then frees the remaining gladiators before fading away to join his wife and son in the Elysian fields. Cue the tears. Yes. The, the wheat field, that music, the little boy running, all of that, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, I know. Uh, Ryan, this movie does a lot of stuff here. It, it's interesting. It functions on one hand like a historical piece here. It's not real history necessarily. It's a fictional character, fictional sure. history. Nope. But uh, it's also... I don't find revenge movies are normally as fulfilling as this, but I mean, this this is kind of a revenge movie. That's the political side of what's going on, but he's actually driven largely by, he's had his family slaughtered. And that's really interesting to see how he drives. I noticed that Maximus doesn't really change as much as a normal protagonist does. Things happen around the protagonist. That's unusual for a movie of this kind, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, well, it's a revenge film that fell into his lap. He, I mean, he got picked up to, uh, like he was at the gravesite of his family and he was basically snatched. I think he would have died there. The, the wound on his shoulder was enough that it was, uh, we saw maggots and it would have infected. It would have consumed his whole body at some point. So had he not been kind of scooped up and saved and made healthy and became a gladiator, he would have had the chance to. To do the revenge, so the revenge came out of opportunity. Oddly enough, he's like, "Oh, I'm going there. Well, then I'll have my revenge, and they'll, I'll, I'll give them a show they won't forget." So it's it is an odd revenge film in that sense because it was kind of handed to him on a silver platter. It's a bit of a plot device, I understand, but that's just what happened. Like he he was going to die next to his family. He had nothing he had nothing in him to live for. That's why he was by the gravesite too. He was just laying there to die with with his family. That's how I interpreted it. Yeah, yeah. Now. Uh... Chad, I should just go ahead and put this out there. You, your master's in history, your your massive history knowledge, and your enthusiasm. You have a master's in history. I do, so I write code for a living. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna have to preface this and say, lay some history on us here, right now. I mean, within reason. You know, Commodus is a real figure in history, right? Yeah, absolutely. He yeah. he does take over after Marcus Aurelius, and it's kind of based on. Uh, Maximus is based on another individual. There's a rumor, uh, his, his name was Claudius Pompeianus, and he was supposed to take over as regent, and Claudius supposedly refused. And Commodus and Marcus, they did not have an adversarial relationship. They actually ruled together for three years. They're kind of sharing. So Commodus, he, he has a longer reign, and he is strangled in the bath which is fantastic and he's strangled by a gladiator or uh, by the name of narcissus not a gladiator a wrestler the guy's name is narcissus so not highly of himself yes yes there's a fantastic myth about narcissus different person but uh he falls in love with his reflection beautiful flower all this stuff check that out too but yeah what's his name narcissus is that where the term narcissus comes from Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea. It was from a person. Yeah. Uh, He falls in love with his reflection. It's a, it's a myth. This is why we have Chad. We need. So if his name was like Chuck or Charlie, we'd call ourselves Charlie's. Yes. You'd be a Chuckist. (laughs) A Chuckist. Okay. Yeah. Lucilla really did plan on assassinating Commodus. Uh, She was exiled and then executed. 
So uh, a lot of this does kind of overlap, but yeah, we create new characters, Maximus, to kind of take on that uh, Pompeianus role, and we also merge him with the Narcissus character, and we add a dash of evil to Commodus, who actually did. He did fight in the gladiatorial games. Mm. He was known as the gladiator emperor, and unknown to him, his Praetorian Guard was doing exactly what he did in this movie. They were stabbing the opponent in the back so the Emperor wouldn't lose. So he's fighting weakened opponents. Claims he didn't know, but yeah. He had, so he had wouldn't a, you know if somebody's just walking out there lurched over, like, you know, like, ugh, like blood coming down there, like, uh, you know, out of their armor? Right. right. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, he was he didn't go the Caligula, Caligula route of dressing himself up like an animal and mauling people in the Colosseum. This was more of uh, Commodus. Just he, he was the gladiator emperor and he so was not being the gladiator emperor. Does he actually suck as a real ruler? Yes. Yes, he does. Uh, this is, this is actually funny. He charged such an, a huge amount of money to see him fight in these games. He actually devalued the Roman currency. That is a fantastic thing about Commodus that people are writing about of, Hey, this idiot is, causing inflation on his own by charging people too much money to see him fight. So yeah, he, he's not really well loved. This character of Joaquin Phoenix as a villain, Ryan, I mean, they make him pretty thoroughly hateable. Am I right? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. This is a, a breakout performance for Joaquin Phoenix. I, again, I probably knew who he was. I can't recall back in 2000, how much I knew about him as an actor. I think we're about the same age. I think he and I are the same age, give or take a month or two. And so he would have been about 25 at, at the time of this film as well. Um, so he was a young actor in many ways. I don't know what I would have seen him at the time. So he was definitely a revelation as an actor. And you know you're a good actor when you do your job. And he did his job. And we all hated him. <laughs> I am stunned. I, I don't know who won Best Supporting Actor, but whoever they picked, I don't care what role it was, they were wrong. Like, Interesting. That, that year is just, it, it's stunning to me. And this was my first introduction to Joaquin Phoenix as well. And it caused such a deep-seated distrust of Joaquin Phoenix when he shows up in movies. The next thing I saw him in was Signs. It's like, you're going to betray your brother. You are a deeply untrustworthy individual. So when he plays a good guy, it's I have a difficult time because this is the character I associate with him. He lost to so. Benicio Del Toro in traffic that year. Yeah, I don't care. That's tough. That's actually tough. I'll say um, that was a great film, by the way, Traffic. And I saw it in the theaters as well at the time. And uh, that's a tough call because Benicio Del Toro did a great job. I'm not going to lie to you. Not so, coincidentally, Traffic's one best director from Ridley Scott as well. So That's that's a tough year. Boy, that's a tough year. So there you go. Good good on – good on. I'm surprised this film won Best Picture in many ways. I'm glad it did, but it's, it's surprising that this won Best Picture. This type of film to win Best Picture is not uh, – it's not – it's a crowd pleaser. Not very many crowd pleasers win Best Picture. You say, you're saying that, but I mean, like, it's going up against Aaron Brockovich, Chocolat, and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. They had fewer Oof. nominees back then. So tough categories. Crouching yes. Tiger was a big one too. That's a good year. I saw it in the theaters as well. That's a tough year. Wow. It doesn't feel like a Best Picture winner. You know what I mean? Like, well, what what's the last one that won? Uh, that everything happens at once. What's the one called again? Everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. Yeah. I mean. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I think Crouching Tiger is a better foreign film. So, interesting. Okay. Yeah, it it definitely did things we had never seen before, and I really appreciated that. It introduced it, 
that type of martial art to the West. And so, yeah, I, I definitely get it. Now, Chad, this presentation that we get of Rome, is this, how accurate is this that we're getting? It feels, it feels more. Looks good. I was going to say, yeah, I'm convinced, but should I be? Poor Russell's heard me with this rant of you don't bring catapults into the forest. There's, there's a lot of things that they do for, for visual effect. It looks really cool. Things like the fire pots are not used during this. Their armor is the wrong century. It's actually a hundred years prior that they would have been wearing this armor. So they do a lot of things. It looks fantastic. You know what? I'm not going to be the Neil deGrasse Tyson of your your constellations were wrong in Titanic. You need to fix this. It's fine. It looks great. The common person is not going to. Did you just call us common? Are we common people? Because. Common, yeah. yes, yeah, common history knowledge. Okay, okay, common history knowledge. Okay, that's better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, but it was interesting. Two of the historians that were uh, alongside this film that were consultants refused to have their name associated with this movie because of the discrepancies there. Sure. They basically said, "Do it this way," and said, "Yeah, we like armbands because people people want to see armbands, or we want to see purple in the Praetorian Guard." That's a style choice. And I, it looks great. I have no complaints. The Coliseum looks awesome. That was 57 feet of plywood and plaster. That's incredible. I know they did the rest CGI. Like of course, yeah. Two-thirds of it CGI. I don't notice it. It's There's so many things. Like I believe uh, Juba, when he looks at it, and he says, I didn't think man could build something like mm-hmm. this. The awe, they capture that. Yeah, I agree. Hey, well, here's a question for you. If... Um... If somebody from that era were to see this film, I know it sounds weird, would they be like legitimately confused with what they're looking at or would, they, or would it resonate to a degree if oh, this kind of looks like our time and place? You know what I mean by that? Like maybe the costumes are wrong. Or... go to move. I'm confused. What, what, yeah, what, like, what if, gods is this? Because if you showed them Star Wars, they'd be confused. But if you showed them this film, would they legit be like, what, what am I looking at? Or would there be some sort of semblance of, yeah, this is kind of like what I live around? Yeah, they would have a a good frame of reference. I mean, they've got artwork and things like that. They would understand it, certainly. One of my favorite things that got cut is they didn't want to bring in sponsorship from the gladiators into their arena, which is historically accurate. That's what Mm -hmm. they would have done. They had sponsors. They bring in ads. And Ridley Scott is like, no one's going to believe us that this is happening. So if, if we do this we will get made fun of. So we don't do it. So yeah, there's, there's little things that the common person in Rome would have said, Hey, where, why isn't this guy sponsored by, you know, Pepsius? Why isn't this? Hercules is fig leaves. Right. Yeah, exactly. Fig leaves that there are on the market. Yeah. But, but the spirits there, I I think someone that was, was shown this film if they were from that era, if you plop them in front of it after they got over the whole, oh, this is technology that I can right. watch a movie. Yeah, they, they would recognize most of it. Cool. So I think it's just so interesting, though, that the character of Maximus has this magnetic quality to him that his men love him, the emperor loves him, the Commodus' sister loves him. <laughs> I mean... Too much? Well, I mean... It's, he's kind of like this old flame for her. Yeah. Like that, 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 you know, I didn't pick up on that the first time I watched it, to be honest with you. Their, their dynamic is, yes, she's into him, but 
it takes i think for me they didn't spell it out for me as much i mean you, that's one of those things that repeat watchings does bring out their dynamic i'm glad they don't go full all out like uh having a romantic relationship of like i've got a dead family you've got a dead family this is great we'll be together so um I, th I think i think this movie stays more i don't know in a more noble space uh, bigger ideas of i mean Again, I don't think Maximus is driven by the governmental system as much as, as just pure hatred for Commodus. But um, mm -hmm. on the other hand, that is what is at, at stake. And that is the burden that uh, Marcus Aurelius puts on his shoulders. He says, you know, I want you to do this for me. And so it is driving him some. His respect for the previous Caesar was driving him on that. So I just think it's really interesting. Maximus isn't undergoing some massive transformation everybody is seemingly drawn to him pretty much except for Commodus, who's super jealous of him like jealous would be putting it mildly i don't know if there's a stronger word than than, than that for right. but uh tommy flanagan's character is following him like even months after he thought he was dead and he's there to support him the gladiators they take to him right away like there's a guy who's so much bigger like in the gladiator world just being big and strong like the giant guy from germania was like that guy should have been his <laughs> knees. But it, he even sits there and goes like, eh, this Maximus guy, I like you. So there's something that's magnetic about that character that comes through. And I think this is one of those things where rewatches go through to help. But just really enjoy watching that character as a pure leader go through versus somebody who just wants to be out there. That foil of somebody who has the leadership they have the leader seat but they're in no way an actual real leader so he is dominic toretto like family is everything that's his driving force for him and marcus aurelius he viewed as a father figure and then when he has everything else taken away the other gladiators become his family and he talks about that so everything he's doing to paraphrase fast and furious he is doing for family chad what is it this drives us to Maximus or what makes us connect to him? I think we all can feel his loss. He just has this honor about him. We see it passed down from Marcus Aurelius where he says, my son is not a good man, but mm -hmm. you recognize just by that omission. Okay. Maximus is a good man. He's an honorable man. He can be trusted to be the Cincinnatus to give the power back, which is something that to Rome, Cincinnatus is a huge mythological figure it's someone that george washington patterned himself over the man who gave the power back and so you're putting that role on to maximus and saying this is a man that has enough honor to give the power back to the people and then he never really gets that opportunity and we we know it doesn't go back to the republic obviously uh, from roman history but Maximus then has that honor for his family that's driving him. We can understand his loss, the horrific senior wife and son who have been burned and crucified. My goodness. And they were they were done that while they were still alive. They mentioned that line, which is just horrific. And they said they ravaged his wife, too. In a, I'm hoping Commodus was just lying about He was. Him. I think he was, yeah. I don't know, man. It's ancient Rome. <laughs> No, I, I get that too, but the, he said everything he could in that moment to break Maximus in that moment. He wanted Maximus to attack so he could be killed on the spot. Yeah, yeah the Roman soldiers weren't as big on pillaging and extra activities as other different cultures, so I, I don't know. It, 
It could have happened. It might have happened. But uh, either way, you don't really right. need that extra layer to burn and crucified. That's that's just horrific. So we all understand his pain, his loss, and just the flashbacks to his wife and to his child. And even when he talks about his dirt, that wonderful scene where he's like, the dirt is black like my wife's hair. And he keeps doing that. And he keeps going back to those roots of, I'm a simple farmer. Again, like Cincinnatus, I'm a simple farmer and I want the simple life. Yeah, he, he's into farming. I, I have this weird parallel reality. What if what if he did get to go home and was like, ah, I'm going to farm now. And you're just like, farming's pretty hard. I don't know. I might just go back and kill some people again. This is like, <laughs> I, I thought this whole farming thing was going to be better than this. <laughs> they chose that profession for a reason. That that was what uh, Cincinnatus was. He was a farmer. And so he became emperor, dictator, actually. It wasn't an emperor, but dictator. And he gives the title back and goes back to his farm. So we have a little of that with Maximus as well. Okay. Okay. What about you, Brian? What makes you connect so much with Maximus? Well, I think for me, from the beginning with him, I think what it is is the same thing that his troops see in him. The natural leader, the stoicism that he carries, that was a big thing at the time, of course, being stoic in, in times of strife and uh, turmoil and in battle. He's just, I mean, he's everything that almost <laughs> like I'm not, you know, he's a... Meaning, like, he's a manly man with, with uh, uh, in the sense of he's just, and I say that, and I, you know, in the term, I hope it comes out, not you know, today's terms, you know what I mean, but the, the idea that he's just so um, dependable, uh, strong, reliable, and then he's such a soft personality in the sense that he doesn't have an ego. Uh, he is always caring about his troops. It's it's reciprocal that he cares deeply for his troops, for his family. They love him back. He loves them. And it's just a constant um, affection for the people that he rules over or that he's a leader over, I should say. And that's why he was going to be picked, of course, to rule Rome because uh, because of that, that... Um, uh, that uh, Marcus Aurelius knew this, that that same leadership quality he has with the troops he's going to have with the people, that he'll never be cruel, he'll never be evil, he's always going to look out for the best interests of, of humanity. Uh, and then just I, just the way he deals with every situation, you just, you can't help but um, envy, I guess, I don't know what the right word is, not envy in a bad way, but envy, like, I wish I could be like that, I wish I could be that calm, cool, collected, strong, I know it's a movie, but that's the character, right? And that's what he's like. And and I admire that. I, I look at those qualities as a character that Russell Crowe portrays so well. And I look at that character and say, boy, that is a way to be. And there is a little bit of a Christ figure in him. I understand that. Um, where he does seem perfect in the sense of he doesn't seem to have any real flaws. But he does. I mean, we, you can pick them out a little bit. But he just seems to know what to do, when to do it, and then he's he kicks ass <laughs> he, he, when he's in the when he's in the ring, when, and then he yells like after he's killed everyone. Are you not entertained? I mean, he just everything about him is just cool. I, I love it, and that's probably why it's a bit of a guy's film. Is why we talked about at the beginning is because he just seems to exude guyness that uh, a lot of men masculinity for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what it is, and he's tough. He's cool. He's he's um. Yeah, I, I, I like it's, it. It's, it's written deeper, and you've you've alluded to a number of qualities in what you had just said, though, that this is not just Jesse Ventura being a, I'm a sexual Tyrannosaurus. No, 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 no. <laughs> so, so, um, he has no ego, which is huge. Like, he doesn't have an ego. Yeah. Um, and then even when he's talking to the boy through the through the gate, uh, Lucius through the gate, that, that first meeting, 
just the way he's with the child, how he's playful and kind. And he's like, oh, man, this guy, he just, you know, I, he just literally cut off a head earlier. And now he's just, you know, chilling with a kid and being cool about it. And so he's just, yeah, it's just everything he says and does is, is on point. And you can't help but admire that as a viewer. Absolutely. And I think you touched on something here that also is a thing that this movie, for all of the things that it has, it has amazing action scenes in it, too. It's a very right. exciting movie. Well, I mean, yeah, the people, I mean, the people the, online is often referred to as a an action film, action film. I guess, I guess, I guess so. I just don't like to call it that because it just it seems like it lessens it. But it's it's not like a Top Gun action film or Mission Impossible action film. But yes, there are definitely action pieces and sequences for sure. Yeah, I, I put it in the Ben Hur type category. Yeah. I would not call Ben Hur an action film, but it's got that wonderful chariot race. And we, it has some exciting moments for sure. Absolutely. Like Braveheart. Yeah, it was yeah. Braveheart action film, but definitely there's some credible sword scenes and fight scenes and battle scenes where action is happening yeah that's a good comparison i feel like there's more action like more time is doled out to braveheart's action does that make sense like i'm sure i'm 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 sure there's more of that so yeah i always feel like battle scenes are one of those things to your point like when you say what makes an action movie i don't always think of like straight up battle scenes as doing that you know lord of the rings lord of the rings movies are another one of those things that i'll I'll add that into there like like what you said it's just like you know battle of the home steep super exciting is it an action movie i don't know i feel like it kind of cheapens it weirdly enough act the the term action film is mission impossible fast and furious type that's what i think of when i think of action films but definitely yeah uh helms deep is full of quote-unquote action <laughs> I, I, feel like, I feel like something like what you talked about like where it's the primary driver right is what categorizes it as an action movie and like chad said ben-hur is very exciting at times yeah. but it's also a very long movie if you take the percentage of movie sure. you know i mean you know we did uh you know not the uh transformer what was it oh crank yes, yes. the whole movie's action and it just goes from one action scene to another the plot's there to serve the action so i, I can't mean, stand that film uh, we couldn't either. Good. So, <laughs> <laughs> so this is not crank. No. Um, so let's talk about the cast here. We have a pretty amazing cast. We've talked a lot about Russell Crowe when he does, right. but it's not just Russell Crowe. This is a pretty solid cast through and through. We talked about Joaquin Phoenix being a great villain as mm-hmm. well. Ryan, I mean, let's t- let's go down through this a little bit here. Sure. This movie is functioning from an acting standpoint pretty highly. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, well, I'll, I'll be a bit of a wet blanket here. There is somebody that I thought there was an individual whose acting was maybe Joaquin Russell and uh, I can't say his name very well. D.G. Mon. Oliver Reed? Oh, no. D.G. Mon. Yeah. Hunsu. Incredible, of course. Richard Harris, incredible. Yeah. Tommy Flanagan was incredible. Everyone that you just said, but I hate to say, of course, it's the female. And I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm like a total misogynist here. But Connie Nielsen, I don't I don't know if she was just because she was up against Joaquin and Russell, but boy, she was okay. Like, she was fine. She was serviceable. But I feel like I've seen better performances from actresses in other period films. And I don't know why her, something about her just threw me off a little bit. Just a, I hate to say it, if I had a complaint with that with the cast, everyone else was amazing, but she was okay. Would you prefer Jennifer Lopez? She wanted that role. No, no, no. Because <laughs> no. I would have taken away. So I think, and this, I'm not saying Connie didn't do a good job. I think it's just she did a good job when everyone else was really like walking to Russell and and uh, of course Richard Harris in his little role, and then Mr. Hunsu. Uh, they were all just yeah. Everyone else was just so good. 
so good that she was okay. Oliver, Oliver Reed here also. This is not, um, I don't necessarily, I'm, I'm not as fresh with the rest of his career. So I wasn't aware of, of what a heavyweight that he was, but I guess yeah. he was a bit of a heavyweight actor yeah. in this. And he certainly, it's interesting as you read the stories about him, he seems like a very colorful character himself in real yes. life. So, well, you uh, heard how he, di- how he died. No. no. Well, I know he dies in the making of this movie. Yes. And they have it's to just three. To re- Go ahead, go ahead, tell, go ahead, tell us, Ryan. Yeah, so it was three weeks before production ended, he had died, and there was actually an insurance clause. I guess most films have this that uh, that they will. It makes sense, especially with I hate to say older actors, but so big budget films will have insurance, meaning if they have to reshoot major parts of a film with an actor die, or actress dies in a film, they will reshoot that, and they have insurance for that. So they were going to pay twenty five million dollars to refilm everything that Oliver Reed had been in because of his death, which is a fair bit. Yeah, which is a fair bit, but the actors, uh, i.e. Joaquin, Russell, Connie, they were all exhausted, and they're like, nope, we are not doing this any more than we have to do. So that's where they came with a very early CGI face with a body double for that last little sequence there between the gate where he kind of does a harumph through the gate. At, uh... So they actually had a different a different ending for Oliver Reed's character, Proximo. Uh, it, so they rewrote the ending for him. It was kind of a sudden, like, didn't it wasn't as good as they wanted to have. Uh, but with how he died, he was a bit of a drinker, and he promised Ridley Scott that he would not drink during the filming of this film. That he really wanted to be there, be there for uh, be there for Ridley Scott, and be there for the film. But he got challenged at some Irish pub to have some sort of <laughs> drinking contest, and his heart stopped at the pub. He he, he did a he did a drinking contest. It was like he just like a, speaking of Indiana Jones, like uh, what Marianne does the, does there. She's tough. Uh, I wouldn't challenge her, by the way. No, and so, uh, yes, that's how he died. It was a heart, like, basically was, he drank himself to death at the age of 61, three weeks, three weeks before production ended. So, kind of crappy way to go, I hate to say it. I like I like the way they handled it in the movie, by the yeah, way. Like, I mean, it's pretty I good. Read, I read that Maximus was supposed to fight Proximo in the Coliseum after being captured, which Proximo is a lot older, and I can't yeah. picture that. Like, I mean, he okay, so he beats the guy. Like, so he had had the Battle of Gaul. That was like the best gladiator coming out of retirement right. to get back in the arena. Why would anybody? Why is that a hot ticket? I mean, yes, we we see the. I don't know that their relationships even that conflicting either. Like, it's not like you know, if you put if you put Maximus out there, it's like, well, you've got to kill Proximo. It's like, all right, sorry, man. <laughs> Those two of us. He had the "Are you in danger of becoming a good man?" So there was there was sort of a bonding there, but yeah, I I like what we got, and I don't notice the CGI. To it's sort of there. You you know the part I'm talking about. You know what scene it is, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, it's sort of there. It's not bad because it's very quick, and yeah, they did have a different ending in mind, but it, it's serviceable that. Had you not, you're right. Had you not known, and the way they lit it and stuff, you, you just move on. And, and in fact, when I saw it in the theaters, I knew that they had done this, uh, but I didn't catch it in the theater the first time. I was like, "Where was that?" I couldn't catch it. So, it's yeah. better than like Carrie Fisher and The Last Skywalker. <laughs> it is crazy how well they did com- comparatively to, to today's standards of CGI. Uh, lastly, Oliver Reed didn't like Russell Crowe. Nope. No, no. I do think they're both polarizing characters. The sure. more I read about each of them, I sit there and go, "Like, I, I can get." people <laughs> getting rubbed the wrong way by either one of these guys. And I can certainly see them rubbing each other the wrong way. When Russell Crowe declares on set, I'm the best actor in the world. And I'm not saying this garbage. I mean, he, he's trying to rewrite the script on the spot because he's the best actor in the world. Did he Ever- say that? Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, it's weird that he would say that because later on he said that he felt uncomfortable with the praise that he got for the film. So I'm that's a little conflicting. I guess he's a conflicting personality. I guess, but I don't know. I don't know. He doesn't have the cachet of roles at this point. No. I mean, he did just come off the inside, which, by the way, that movie is really good too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, and L.A. Confidential uh, as LA well. Confidential, so I mean, yeah. so he is a legitimately really good actor. But I do hate to see the seemingly diva moments. You're right. I, I see the same comments that you see, Ryan. I mean, he said in an interview, he felt like it's a director of film, and you know, Ridley should have right. gotten more credit. I think that's boosting up Ridley. It's just saying like, I wish he had gotten Best Director at the Oscars that year more than sure. that. But I don't know. I have read that Russell Crowe can be polarizing to deal with as well on set. So, I mean, I know somebody here in Pittsburgh. He, he shot a movie here in Pittsburgh. Oh. met him at the airport and signed an autograph for him and bought him a beer and stuff. And he was super nice to him in real life. And um, so I've heard bad things and good things about Russell Crowe. He's so, human. I, mean, I think he's human at the end of the day. He's probably a bit of a rough personality to some degree. I don't think he's a, a, a all out a-hole, but I suspect he might just be difficult. But at the same time, he's not going to punch a civilian in the face type thing. I, I don't right. think. Right. Despite South Park, uh, the fighting around the world. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> Robert Stomper. <laughs> but, but yeah. I, mean, I think he's calmed down. I think he's calmed down in his older age, to be honest with you, too. Yeah. Absolutely. And you've got a lot of weird personalities. Joaquin Phoenix isn't exactly yeah. the easiest person to be around. He's yeah. a complete method actor. And Russell Crowe's, what do I do with this kid? He's literally asking me to abuse him prior to a scene. What am I supposed to do with this kid? This sure. is earlier. This is early in his career, by the way. But yeah, right. like this is not Joker Joaquin. But, no. Um, no, he's so nervous. He passes out in scenes like they're looking at this guy. Like, sure. Who, who was it? There was a very famous actor that said uh, they were talking about method acting. One person just goes, no, I don't have to get into character. It's called acting. Mm-hmm. I forget who said that. Yeah, I've heard that quote. Yeah. yeah. So I also thought that Oliver Reed was one of those strong diva type personalities himself, though. And yep. coming in, he said, to you, like, my time's mine after five, which when you're shooting a movie, that doesn't normally fly. So, no. I mean, he's a minor enough role that I think that Ridley said, yeah, sure. And he did. He was he was gracious and went along with it. But uh, normally when you're shooting a movie, you're you're theirs from 4 a.m. until midnight if you if they want you to be. And that's just how it goes. So uh, it's interesting that he also would have been a strong personality. They both got along great with Richard Harris for whatever that's worth. So and he probably seems like an interesting cast. Uh, I, I suspect a lot of the back uh, uh, behind the scenes uh, discussions would have been quite interesting. Too bad they didn't film it. eh? So. Crow was supposed to be a Spaniard. They portray him as a Spaniard. He doesn't make a big accent effort. He no. tried to do this Antonio Banderas kind of like, you know, oh. I'm, I'm going to be Spanish in this movie. And uh, Ridley Scott said, don't do that. I'm glad they didn't. I, I, I do appreciate it sometimes when they just just don't bother. Fine. You're Spaniard. You're talking like American or Australian American or whatever you are. Who cares? Just move on. Like, fine. Like, we didn't hire Spaniard. I mean, yeah, yeah I, I I appreciate that they did, that they didn't bother. This isn't Sean Connery's Spanish Egyptian from the Highlander movies, <laughs> like there's a yeah. We've or Kevin Costner of, for Robin Hood, you know. Just, yes, we've kind of become accustomed, even though Russell Crowe is Australian. We've become accustomed of okay, Romans are British for no good reason. So that's that's just where we are as a sure. cinematic audience. Our Romans are British. That's that's how we tell we can tell we're in ye olden times. 
Yes. I don't know why we just landed on that, but we did land on that. They're, they're yes. British. So. It sounds more regal. Oliver Reed's stories again, it was interesting. He said that he took the role just to get a free trip to London and see some couple of shows, like theater shows, while he was there. <laughs> so uh, he also was upset that he had to read for the part. Right. You know, I'm not reading for this part. And his, his manager, I guess, gave him a abrupt, you can read it if you want to. There's some expletives in it and all that good stuff. But I mean, he gave him some abrupt uh, word of advice. You're not who you think you are at this point in your career. You should read for it. And if Ridley Scott says you should read it, you should read it for him as many times as he has to. Right. So, uh, and he did. Hmm. So it worked out great for him. He is really good in this, by the way, though. I, I We were talking about all this big personality of him, but he brings a lot of character to a supporting. Absolutely. Role. I also want to give some credit here. They looked firstly to Mel Gibson. Yeah. And the lead role, I would not like mm. this. Not only is he, he's getting a little bit up there in age, which he felt was the case at this point. They considered Hugh Jackman, Antonio Banderas himself, Tom Sizemore, Tom Cruise were also considered. I'm also glad this isn't, this doesn't feel like a Tom Cruise no. role either, by no. the way. Um, um, so Ryan, again, was Russell Crowe the right man for the job? There's some big names in here. Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. Yes, he was. However, Hugh Jackman would have given a run for his money. Because uh, Hugh, as a personality, uh, is kind of those things. He's just a really nice guy. And so, like, naturally, and not to say Russell Crowe, but everything we said about Russell Crowe's kind of antics uh, behind the camera, we you know, threw a phone at someone, I think, once in a hotel or something like that. Like, Hugh, Hugh doesn't have that reputation. And it was so, I think, because he's probably just genuinely a really, really nice guy. In fact, everything I've heard about Hugh Jackman in real life, he's just a very nice guy. So I think he would have been very great. He's got the build for it as well. Uh, and then in third place, Antonio Banderas. There's your Spaniard, great actor. Uh, and that, this is not to take anything away from Antonio Banderas. I think he's a great actor, and I really do enjoy him. I just don't know if he would have had the the gravitas or the I hate to say that toughness that both Hugh and Have you seen the Thirteenth? I have. And yeah. I think of these names that are runner-ups. This is my favorite. Interesting. Well, he's got the Spaniard down, and he's a good. I was going to say he, he's legitimately a Spaniard, which is and, and he's a good, so. and he's a good actor. I guess um, the fanboy me a little bit more. I think it would have been interesting to see Hugh in this because he was just come. You know, he was just getting big with uh, the X Men film at the same year, actually two thousand. Um, Mel saying he's too old. I find that interesting because at forty three, that's not that old. It's just maybe he felt that way at that age. But I would wonder if he thought it was too close to the Braveheart. Well, he did what women want that same year and made just about as much money with a lot less work. (laughs) We have the Patriot and he's kind of the same character there as Maximus, like the same genteel farmer type personality again. So I don't know what he was saying about his age, but fair enough. No, he's a father in that one though. He's got a full grown. A lot of kids. Yeah. Yeah, Heath Ledger was the oldest boy. Yeah. Yeah. But same thing. He loses yeah. his boy, yeah. and it's a tale of vengeance and yeah. opportunity. So it's the same character. How great was that scene where he's like killing everybody with the tomahawk? <laughs> Absolutely, we covered it. it okay. You know what? It's not a great historical movie, but if yeah, you can cares? turn your brain off, it's I love so it. fun. Mel Gibson not in a very historically accurate movie. Yeah. I'll say, who cares? I don't watch those. I don't. I'll turn on the documentary. Show. I don't watch these type of films. To be educated i got wikipedia and i've got the history channel it's okay I, th- I think based on what chad told me there's more accurate about this movie with a fictional character than there is about braveheart with uh sure, william wallace <laughs> yeah yeah that's fair <laughs> uh 
Uh, no, I think it's a, I think it's a great choice. And Russell Crowe, as I mentioned, he was coming off the insider. Do see this movie. Yeah, it's, movie. it's a Michael Mann yeah. movie. It's, it's, Michael it's, Mann. And um, Pacino's in yeah. it as well. And that's uh he gained 40 pounds for that role and he lost it quickly and to get into shape for this. I'm surprised by that. He said he just, you know, put in some hard work on his Australian farm. So go. I guess, yeah, do more farming in Australia. And that, that's how you lose 40 pounds and look like Maximus quickly. So, but again, just the acting difference in those two roles. I mean, it's good. Acting. Oh, yes, yes, so, yes, 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 absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Lou Ferrigno was originally cast to be the Tigress of Gull. Ugh. I uh, that's, that's kind of fun. I don't need. Uh, it would have been a is stunt casting. To, is this the movie where we have to have fun? No, like that's that? stunt casting. It would have taken it away, and I'm glad they did. I'm glad they did because the guy that came in, I was like, who, like, he's done films. I actually Googled him to see what he's been in, but that's that's perfect. I did. I, I you should have to Google this guy. You don't want to know who he is when he comes in. Okay. Yeah, so Chad, Chad you're, you're okay with Mr. Hulk coming he, in. He had, a, he had a helmet on, so you wouldn't have known. But you would have known. You would have known. You, you take yeah. it off. You take. He lifts it That's up. That's true. Uh, you, you can keep the helmet on. No offense to Lou. He's not a good actor, and it's just stunt casting. It would have felt – It would just. everyone's just going to say that. Look, it's – the guy. It's, uh, some, sometimes some actors can't get out of their own way, and it's just the way it goes. And, yeah, he's never re- – So – I was interested in how good this movie is from its quality, how much rewriting had to be done on this one. I don't know, behind the scenes, Ryan, I was really surprised the amount of rewritings and changes that they were doing in this. Yeah, well, I'm a bit of a movie nerd too. Like I've studied movies as a hobby, not as a real professional, other than just, you know, reading back, you know, what productions and stuff on the set. Other Other than films like Quentin Tarantino, uh, type script scripted films where they're kind of hard locked in and i suspect even he would change things on the fly uh that's just common and maybe russell just i don't know what he was used to um but rewriting is pretty common so he might have felt that way at the time but i bet you he's experienced it since then so um it worked that's so i don't know rewriting might be frustrating for an actor yes because you have to memorize lines again to character i so i, I can appreciate that but at the same time this kind of stuff happens in movies all the time. So I, I guess I kind of find it odd that he had such a problem with it because it did work out very well in the end, but fair, sometimes out of hard work or out of hardness or out of difficulty comes great stuff though. So, however, there are films that got rewritten on the fly that are garbage. So yeah, it's, it's like any, anything, right? It's just who knows, but uh, he did make, he did make us think about it. That was one of the notes that I saw that he took there that he says here, um, the famous line, uh, if you don't mind if I read it, it goes, the famous line, and I'll have my vengeance in this life or the next. He initially refused to say to his screenwriter, William Nicholson, your lines are garbage, but I'm the greatest actor, I'm the greatest actor in the world, and I can make even garbage sound good. Now, maybe he should have said the greatest actor in the world, but however, he made it sound good. <laughs> He's not wrong. It sounded great. I don't know why he thought it was a bad, I don't know why he thought it was a bad line, though. I don't get that. Maybe he thought it was too cliche, maybe? I don't know. Nicholson, in a self-depriving uh, uh, comment afterwards, says, "In fairness, my lines probably are garbage." Sure, but I think <laughs> I think he's just he's taken in stride. But I, um, but interesting because that line is is it's a great revenge line. That's we want to hear as an audience. But maybe Russell thought that was too too easy, too easy of a line. And that's probably what it was. He was probably like, "This is so cliche." Maybe it is cliche, but Russell delivered it so well, and we as an audience received it so well that I think we look past it. Yeah, the conviction gets you and. 
the amount of ad-libbing just for the name. Maximus Decimus Meridius was not the character's name, and they just decided, which, by the way, if you want to get into his, historical issues, that's not how a Roman name would go, but it sounds really good. It, it flows. So that's cool. But that was ad-lib. The, the speech about his house, Russell Crowe's describing yeah, his own house. That's which, great. That would have that struck me as something that is written in a script. For him to ad lib that is awesome. Joaquin Phoenix doing the screaming, Am I not merciful? It was ad libbed and actually scared Connie Nielsen. Yeah. So, it was intense. Yeah, so, so many of these things, like to your point, Ryan, if you don't have the right talent and you're loosey goosey with a script, it's a disaster. But yeah. if you've got really, really talented people. We just came off of Caddyshack. That becomes a classic because you are letting really talented people do really talented work. So, and then you have Ridley Scott, who's the accomplished director, reigning it in because you can't let your cast get too out of control. That's the job of the director to say, okay, I think we've got enough here. You know, the editor's going to have some work to do. So yeah, there's that fine line between giving the actors the freedom um, but like I said, let's just a Quentin, Quentin Tarantino script. There's very few writers that allow that kind of freedom. Chad, we are, we've mentioned many times we love Ridley Scott, and then sometimes he disappoints mm-hmm. us. He's up and down, but he's up here. Talk about what Ridley Scott does here that just makes you so happy. I, he nails everything. Like This is alien-level Ridley Scott, where just you have the mood, the atmosphere, the right cast, the right music. You have nailed every aspect of your job. You've got the editing is tight. He is firing on all cylinders. This is the Ridley Scott that I love. This is the Ridley Scott that you respond to. He's kind of gotten back into that. The Last Duel was excellent. I really enjoyed that. Uh, It's still his earliest work is some of his best, in my opinion. He has Blade Runner. We covered that as well. Uh, Black Hawk Down... It is not my type of movie. It's done well. It's just not a the genre that I enjoy. He is. This is just top notch work. I I can't praise him enough for everything that goes right and very little that goes wrong. We talked about all the challenges. When you don't see those challenges come through on screen, your director's done his job. Absolutely, Brian. Are you enjoying the work? This movie's long. Is it too long for you? Like, oh, I mean, is Ridley Scott doing a great job managing the pace, keeping you entertained, you know, balancing the story, giving you in the feel of the environment that, that we're in an ancient world? Oh, I love it. I have no problem with long films, and uh, that doesn't bother me. I sometimes watch films in piecemeal anyways, just because of my schedule. I'll watch half hour here, half hour there. Uh, I never felt this film was too long. I, I, I know that you guys have, but I don't know who would ever feel this film is too long. Um, and I will say as good as really Scott is in most of his films, this is his best film. I would, I would be high hard pressed for, I, I guess alien would be a discussion point, but as far as, cause I'm a sucker for films that make me feel, and I'm, I'm a bit of a, I guess I'm a bit of a sap. I'm a, you know, <laughs> I like a good cry. I like a good movie that makes me feel, you know? And so he sh- maybe he's done quote unquote better films as far as if you're a film auteur, I'm not. I'm just actually somebody who likes to be entertained. And uh, this film is his most entertaining, well-done film. And on top of that, it's the one that makes me have feelings feelings and, and emotions with the soundtrack and everything. It's just everything about it. Yeah. So it's, I think it's his perfect film, his number one film. So Ch- so I'm going to have to do this again because Chad always okay. groans every time I bring it up. We, we covered this movie, but uh, Chad, is it better than Legend? I mean, just stop. Just stop. 
this is a terrible film. And then okay. I, I thought I was hoping that was sarcasm. I was like, oh boy. Yes. Yes. <laughs> this is a this is a tough one. People br- people bring up childhood classics for them. They're like, I love this movie as a child. I'm like I'm seeing it as an adult. It's not going to go well. Yeah. One thing I will say this: the cinematographer Johnny Math, or sorry, John Matheson, the battle scenes in the first opening scene when they're battling against Germania, there's this effect. I'm not nuts about it, and I guess there's some sequences, kind of like Private Ryan, where they slow things yeah, down. Yeah, I agree. That's a weak a part bit. of. The, I agree that. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's kind of weak. I don't. I don't know why they did that then, but. There's a reason, and I'll, I'll excuse it more understanding it. So the blur effects on, that appear in these war scenes uh, were not intended. The scenes were shot early in the evening, but they had some delays. Setting up things took too mm-hmm. long. The time they, they took three weeks, by the way, to film the Battle sure. of Germania. So uh, it's, a, it's a big effort. And keeping lighting consistent is difficult. So... They couldn't shoot enough with consistent enough lighting because they're shooting in a real place. They're really they're burning real woods and stuff like that, which they did. By the way, they did that safely. I can go into that later. But the the lighting was a problem. So they had to compensate for the loss of frames by using duplicate shots over and over again. So they just couldn't keep consistent lighting. I think it's of its time. And the farther we get back from it, it does seem that's one of the few things that seems a bit stylized in this movie. Chad, how did you feel like the battle scenes and the action and the arena? Do do you feel like the action captures the magic of Rome that you love? I'm entertained. I am entertained. And they they do bring in some aspects from ancient Rome. They bring in the animals. I love the fact that they the tigers got so used to the trainers that they actually had difficulty getting the tigers to attack. And then when they do get the tigers to attack, Russell Crowe was in the wrong spot and he almost got done in by a tiger. So so there's there's a lot of fun aspects of this, the recreations of the Battle of Carthage. They would do things like that. Cool stuff. Cool little Easter eggs for history nerds that they they pop in. So, yeah. I The action scenes are magnificent and then they give the... We talked about guy movies. There's some cool kills. Getting put up on the spikes or the dual swords and cutting heads off and, and capped off all with Are You Not Entertained? Which is one of the best lines in the movie just i am very entertained what about the final kill ryan like commodus pulls out a dagger which is a total bad guy thing to do you know seemingly seemingly he throws down a sword and then comes at him with like a i've got another dagger up my sleeve which is uh such bad guy stuff is it is it big enough do you want something bigger like do you want the decapitation that we get other times or like how like tell me how like does this feel, does that capture that big moment that you want? Yeah, that's actually interesting to bring that up because I would say this might be one of the only, again, yeah, maybe because all the other battle sequences were so big and, um, you know, the chariot battle and they're all hunched over the shields and uh, when he goes one-on-one with the Tigress and all, all these different characters. So when he does fight Commodus at the end, it does feel a little underwhelming, but I think it almost has to be because we know if they go mono mono regularly, it, he's going to destroy this kid, right? So it, he was pretty excited to get in the fight. I noticed on this viewing, I was like, "He's like, wait, you're going to fight me? <laughs> yes, I will fight you. This is great. I'm in chains in a jail, and I'm very happy and excited to be here." Right, and so it's a little underwhelming, but I think it's it's funny because we're speaking of the Joker. He plays the Joker. It's like when Batman fights the Joker, it's it's underwhelming. It's so it's it's a battle that the Joker kind of has to cheat 
you know, to get Batman, because you can't just take on Batman with fisticuffs. If you're the Joker, you're going to get your butt kicked, right? He's, Joker's not a fighter, neither is a combat. He's not really in this film. He's not a fighter. He's a bit of a... He's, he's not as... He, he's actually very smart and, and wily, but, but not tough. So it, it has to be the way it is, unfortunately. So it's a little bit of a down as far as action goes. It does kind of slow down a little bit. However, again... The ending is amazing because it's very, I get all the tears and everything, but that actual sequence of them going against each other is kind of underwhelming to some degree, to some degree. See, I love it. And that was the same dagger he uses to stab Maximus. So he had that in reserve and he's killed by the dagger that he uses to stab Maximus, which is poetic, but it's intimate. It isn't this grand spectacle. It is just this intimate fight and it ends with a knife through the throat. So right. he is, yeah. he's kind of getting the same treatment as Marcus Aurelius. Marcus was smothered. So you have that, that mirroring of, okay, your, your air is cut off from this. I, I love the intimacy of that fight. Yeah, it's definitely more intimate. You're right about that. I, I don't know why I felt the way I feel. It's, it's an odd feeling, but it's, again, it's not like it doesn't work. I just, I'm, I guess I'm not as thrilled by it as maybe as I thought I would have been. I don't know. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It's one piece. It's one piece on a long line of bad guy things he does, though. I mean, that's just one more slimy sure. thing. You're like, kill your own right. father, try and have an incestuous relationship with your sister, order the order the destruction of the entire farm and Russell Crowe's uh, family, or sorry, Maximus's family. You know, it's just, it's. Uh, I don't know that they necessarily show how he is outside of these things, but uh, I think it would have been interesting to, just to see how Commodus was. Like Chad said, he was bad at his job. Like. You know, not just not just vain necessarily. I'd like to see some other instances of the Senate just chatting with each other. Like it's like this guy's not good. This guy sucks. <laughs> so. right. Well, we we get that of he's ignoring common duties and his sister is picking up the slack for right. him. But the people, it's bread and circus. So he gives the people games, and there's a line that's going to come up, and I'm gonna, not going to spoil it now. But the Senate recognizes what he's doing. They're just saying this is smoke and mirrors. The people are going to love him for this stupidity and Rome is going to crumble. He is selling off their future. He's selling off the bread and the grain reserve to pay for these games. Everyone behind the scenes can see it crumbling, but the people don't. They're, they're entertained. They've got their bread and circus. It is so cool that over 27,000 pieces of armor were made for this movie. 10,000 costumes for the cast and extras. It's just amazing. 24 chariots were built. Only six of them appear on the screen. But there is a lot of love, effort, and detail that goes into all this stuff. I mean, it's amazing to see a particularly Commodus's wardrobe. It's just so cool. When you can pause the movie and sit there and appreciate all this detail, I love that. This movie was an Oscar award winner for its wardrobe, and it absolutely shows it to me. And again, I'm not a historian, Chad. I don't know if it holds up to the historic eye. It, it's not going to go on a deep dive, but the flourishes, they're fine. They're entertaining. It's a Hollywood movie. If you were going to be so stuck up about it, I mean, just get over yourself. There, There's too much going right to be caught up with, oh, they're wearing the wrong type of helmet for this period of piece. It is not that distracting. The only thing that I've said that is distracting to me is catapults in the forest. It makes no military or logistical sense. You cannot fire a catapult or that type of ballista from the forest. They would not drag them in. Uh, 
the type of units they would have had would have been much smaller and more compact. It makes sense because they're flipping trees. You would hit trees. So they just have, that's always from the first time I saw it, I was like, you know, why the catapults? And then the answer is because they look really cool. Ryan, do you love the music from Hans Zimmer here? Without a doubt. Uh, I mean, that is, uh, it ties into one of uh, one of the questions at the end. So I'll just say yes. I'll just save my answer for later. But yes, the music. Yes. It's interesting. That I read that Pirates of the Caribbean, Curse the Black Pearl, it reuses music yeah. from this. I'm, I'm terrible at picking uh, these things I, out. I actually but heard I just... it. It was funny. I was literally had the same thought yesterday. I was like, did they... Did they, they rip some of the score off? And yes, they. Yes, Hans Zimmer does this. He he samples from his own movies and and converts them and moves them to other sure. movies. The problem is, Pirates blew up way way more than I think most people expected based on a Disney ride. Sure. And it, it's kind of like Johnny Cash's hurt, where Trent Reznor said, "Well, it's his now." This this is the same thing. You know, Gladiator theme is now. Pirates of the Caribbean. It is it is associated with Jack Sparrow, and that's frustrating. And it was the same two individuals, Klaus Badelt. He was involved at first. Same thing with Pirates. He's involved in Hans Zimmer. So they're they're both involved. And they get sued too because he's sampling other stuff. Gustav Holtz, uh, Mars the Bringer of War. So Hans, Hans Zimmer is sampling not just from himself, but from other other sources as well. And there's another Hans Zimmer score that he I earlier Hans Zimmer score that he brings into Gladiator. So this is this is just something he does, but I, I think it's more obvious between Pirates and Gladiator than any of the other ones that he does. Yeah, yeah. We when we had this in Legend as well too. Mm-hmm. Um with uh yeah, if you depending on which version you get, but you guys want to give out some superlatives. Absolutely. All right. Ryan. MVP of Gladiator. Okay, I got. Uh, I've kind of cheated. I've hinted a little bit with the music. I think the music, for me, is a huge part of the film that gives that emotive that I love. Um, maybe some people don't like that in films, or I love to be moved. There's something about that where a journey takes you to an emotional place, and uh, without being, um, yeah, I know. There's something about that score at the end. Of course, you know when when he's home with his family and he meets up again, he's been carried out and that soundtrack kicks. And I have literally have gone on YouTube just to watch that scene, just to feel it, just to feel that emotion. And cause it's, it's, I guess it's like a drug. <laughs> I don't know. I, and I'm not alone. I mean, you look at the comments on YouTube, people are like me who just get moved to tears and they just feel so in touch with something, to, something that in my soul, I don't know what it is, but music has that ability beyond visual uh, there's something about you take away that soundtrack, you take away that score. I don't know what you do with those scenes. They don't sound, it won't, I mean, it, somebody would have had to written something and Hans Zimmer just was touched by some something to, to emote what he did for that part of the film. Of course, with that vocal work that's being done as well. It's my understanding the, 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 the lyrics are, it's, it's, not, it's a made up, it's just sounds. It's, there's no uh, actual lyric being sung. It's not a language. Uh, it's just the woman's just vocalizing sounds. Yeah, it's a, a beautiful, beautiful, the whole music in general, just the, 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 the music with the action sequences is perfect. Uh, the beginning battle is perfect. Uh, but that ending part where it, it, it brings you to tears. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of the MVP to a degree. But on top of that, yes, I think it's Russell Crowe's show. I know he tried to give credit to the director, and I agree that really Scott was amazing. 
I think this is also Russell's film. This is the, his portrayal of the gladiator. It's hard pressed to say who would have done a better job. And since it's one of my favorite films and he does an amazing job at it, I think he overall would have to be the one that carries this film. Yeah. Yeah. So, man, you really like the Hans Zimmer. I do. I, I love all the, I love that portion I, there. So, Hans yeah, Zimmer. I, and I'm a great fan of his. You look at his credits, and I'm like, oh, he does a lot of scores of films that I quite enjoy. And there's a reason that people like John Williams are talked about the way they are. I'm a, I'm a Hans Zimmer guy. I think he's, I love what he, he has this uh, world type music to films that I really quite enjoy. Yeah. Chad, MVP. I went with Ridley Scott. It's, it's my rule when things go as right as it, they do, and it's not just an overwhelmingly obvious, okay, this actor really hold more than their fair share of weight. The cast is perfect. The story is engaging. Every shot is just a feast for the eyes. Ridley Scott is my choice. Are you with Ryan on this one? Are you going this over Alien, Chad? Yes. Yes, I am. Okay. I love okay. Alien. So I love, love, Alien. love Alien. It's like top, top 10, 15 movies of mine, but this is better. I'm going to go with Russell Crowe on this one. I don't think this movie works nearly as well. And we talked about the likes of Tom Cruise or Mel Gibson. And just, I mean, this is this is the right man for the job. This is really what the role needed. He's not so built up where it doesn't, it doesn't cheapen it, but he's also a good dramatic actor. So you got to give him credit for that things, for those things. So, uh, and just again, Ryan, great job shouting out for those. This movie has the feels. And Hans Zimmer is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Any movie that really nails that, usually the soundtrack is a massive, massive part of what's having you do that. So a director without having a good score under, at his arsenal is in real tough shape under these moments when those human dynamics come into play. So um, I, I, it, is, it often goes underappreciated, and I'm glad you called that one out. So Best Supporting Actor. Is Mr. Is Mr. Phoenix here for you? Yeah, I, I know it's it's woo big surprise, but I, let's do an honorable mention. I mean, we talked a lot about Walking's performance. We talked about his uh, he's able to combine that jealousy, insecurity, cruelty. He does it so well. But I think an honorable mention should just go to Oliver Reed. I think I got a a better appreciation. I don't know why it's weird. Um, I think it's just you guys asking me to come on the show and me having to watch the movie again just recently through more of a scrutiny vision. That's probably why I noticed that slow motion part at the beginning. I think I was watching it with a more critical eye than I ever had before because I knew it was coming out to really talk about it. Uh, but with that critical eye, I was watching Oliver Reed's performance, knowing a little bit about his background and his shenanigans. And uh, I was like, oh, this guy really is good. And um, I would give him an honorable mention. I really watched his character more than I ever have with my last viewing. So that's my honorable mention. But Joaquin is the runaway boy. Yeah. Break, break, a breakout role for him at this time in his career. Chad, how about you? It's Joaquin. He, he almost stole MVP for me. I think Commodus is the main attraction for me in this movie. He is the one, the menacing, the coldness, just he's able to flip a switch where he seems like he's a caring uncle. And then just the coldness with his sister. It's creepy. It's creepy. He he sends chills down my spine. I love this performance. Chad loves his bad guys. And this is a good one for sure. It's a straight sweep with with Joaquin Phoenix. But while we're giving some... uh, you know, honorable mentions. Derek Jacoby is Gracchus. Really like yes. this guy. He's not on screen a lot, but I mean, he's got this skeptical kind of, like, he nails this like I'm an elitist, kind of like I'm a senator kind of guy. But on the other hand, he also nails this skeptical kind of thing. You get the troublemaker. 
you know, facial expressions and what he does. Like, he doesn't get that many lines, really. But he's so good. I actually found myself looking at some of the people around him going like, everybody else isn't, you know, we got one really good senator actor in here. I actually could have recast some senators <laughs> around him. But uh, that's just because Derek Jacoby's doing such a good job. Sure, yeah. So, hidden gem, Ryan. Well, I, I feel like I've kind of bled a little bit, and I, I apologize for that. That I'll just repeat Oliver Reed again, was uh, somebody that I underappreciated uh, as a minor cast member until I watched it again just yesterday. It's like, I appreciate him that much more. So when I saw your question, which is a hidden gem or underappreciated minor cast, it has to go to Oliver Reed. So he, he takes this spot for me. Same, same reasons as before why it was an honorable mention for MVP. He definitely is somebody who is a gem, a hidden gem in this film, but maybe again, overlooked a little bit because everyone else is just a bigger role but they could have made it. They could have easily done a um, a prequel on this character. They could have somehow de-aged Oliver Reed and showed his journey in the in those days. I think I think very few people would not want to see that journey of him being a gladiator. Proximo, yeah. Yeah. A, a proximal film would think would be a fascinating film to watch. Actually, so let's do it. I like it. Yeah, Chad, how about you, Hidden Gem? Are you ready for this, Russell? I'm going to oh. pick a child actor. Oh boy. I, I never like children in types in these types of movies, but Spencer Clark as Lucius, yeah. he he's actually the right amount of annoying because he's getting under Commodus's skin while simultaneously just being a child. Like he's fa- he is fantasizing about being a gladiator. He's fantasizing about all the wrong things for his uncle, and his uncle's just playing off of this. But yeah, he I thought he was a very good child actor. So you don't like child actors? So did you get a? Did you enjoy it when uh, Maximus' son got hit by the horse? Did you? <laughs> I was okay with it. Yes. Oh. yes. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. You don't run out in front of a horse. He was old enough to know that. Yeah, that's true. Don't stand in front of a horse. Yeah, it's don't, you, just because Daddy's coming home doesn't mean you stand in front of the car in the driveway. Man, that like, that's well. You would assume they would slow down because nope. you would assume it's your dad's troops coming in. But I like again the terrified the mother realizes before the boy does, and oh man, that seems hard. Yeah, that it's, seems it's, hard. it's rough. Hey, dude, speaking of the mother, Maximus's wife, played by G- Giannina Fascio or Faccio. Do you know who her husband is? No idea. It's Ridley Scott. It's Ridley Scott yeah. later. Later, they weren't. They were. They weren't. No, married they, the married, they married in 2015. So they married 15 years after this film. I wonder what the story behind that was. Was he married during this film? And I think because <laughs> he was married two or three times, or I think this is his third wife, Ridley Scott's third wife. But interesting how in 2015 they got married. It makes you wonder what they did in 2000. But yeah, anyways, good for him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, maybe he just had her called back in for casting. I was like, sure. okay, I've got this role. It's for my wife. So. <laughs> My hidden gem is going to be Tommy Flanagan. Really oh, yeah, yeah. He was fun. Recast. Ryan. I think it's, it's coming for Connie Nielsen now. Is this, is this what no, she, I did, she was fine. I feel bad. I don't want people to at me because, uh, you know, the, the, the lead female actress I kind of crapped on. It wasn't my intent. I just, I, I it just again, when I watched yesterday through a critical eye, maybe I was watching too critically. I was watching her acting compared to the other people. I was like, oof. I don't know why I felt more... I felt more critical of her acting than I ever had before. However, she was fine compared to walking in and uh, uh, Russell. It just seemed a little underwhelming. However, if uh, a fantasy recast, if you had to recast, I know you can't, you know, because of the age, but if you could recast um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix's character, Commodus, today, an, inter- an interesting recast would be Tom Hiddleston. Hmm. 
I think they're very uh, that type of uh, you know he plays Loki of course I think he's got the acting ability to be uh, to be cruel to be uh, to be uh, jealous all the things that Walking did so well I think Tom could do very well so in an alternate universe timeline I think Tom would be an interesting recast he could almost do it with today's he'd be an older brother I guess at this point but he still looks fairly young but uh, I think I think he would have been an interesting recast uh, that was my fantasy recast so I like it. Chad, how about you? Who's your recast? Well, you gave credit to Gracchus, and I have no problem. I actually like the actor, but I can't resist putting Anthony Hopkins in this type of movie, and I kind of want him in as Gracchus. Mm. Well, as long as you keep him in there and just demote him to... Yeah, like uh, like I said, some of the other senators needed to be improved upon, I thought. so. You can be Flacco. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's fine. Wig guy, wig guy is not my favorite guy either. By the way, oh, with the audio, yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he's odd, yeah, 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 uh, too much for this for this part. I thought um, my yeah. recast though is going to be Connie Nielsen. I'm going to do it, and oh, I, um, like yeah. uh, I thought she was good. And I, I will say this: I went back and looked at who was available at the time for the proper age, and most of the people that were running to my head of like I would rather have so and so in there, I kept coming up with people who would have been too young at the time. So do, 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 do the alternate universe like I was doing. Do, do, who cares about the timeline? <laughs> Jennifer, I want Jennifer Conley. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Good actress. You know, I think think this Beautiful. would be I think this would be good. Um, she's good with Russell Crowe. No, so I mean, why not do it here? Why, why sure. not do it here too? So, um, you know, I was having a harder time with this one though. I mean, Robin Wright might be close to the right age for it. So um, mm, she's yeah, she's she's an odd one. I have yeah, a hard I don't time know. with her. I don't know why I have a hard time with her. So anyway, I, 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 Jennifer Connelly would be best, I would say. So yeah, I will never argue against casting Jennifer Connelly in anything. Yeah, it's kind of hard to say no to her. Yeah. Best shot, Ryan. This one was tough because I this this movie is just full of stunning like cinematography, standout shots, cinematic moments. Uh, but if you just want to go with breadth and scale of like, well, what if I got myself into, I will just say the opening battle sequence of Germania, because when I saw this in the theaters, I had no idea this battle sequence was coming. So I remember seeing this in the theaters, like, what am I watching here? It, 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 it captivated me. I was like, it was just visually captiv- uh, captivating. Um, it establishes uh, Maximus's leadership, courage, his strategic prowess, everything. So it kind of sets that tone for the rest of the film of who he is and why people were led to him, why he was a natural leader. Because when you see, so the whole opening sequence establishes both visually what we're in store for as a film. This is not your average film, but it also establishes the character. So to me, that was the best, best shot because it, it, it just starts off with the move with a bang. Love it. Yeah. Ted. So near the end, when right after the line of who will help me carry him as they're carrying Maximus out, we have this overhead shot and you can see the guards carrying Maximus out. But what does it for me is where Lucilla is standing. She is standing looking at Maximus being carried out and she's got her back to the body of Commodus that's laying behind her. Everyone's ignoring that body. The entire shot is framed with roses. It's just this gorgeous, gorgeous piece of work and i appreciate everything it's striking it's a good one i have to say i came in really thinking about the hand moving over the wheat yes in the the fields it's really powerful but something else that maybe just might be a runner's up for me was the shot when maximus 
buries his family and there's two graves in the foreground and his head is positioned between them. It's excellent framing. It's just really good framing here. And he, as you mentioned, Ryan, he's down for the count and he's, he's okay to go out. Like he's at peace with it. Like he just wants to die with his family. It's a heavy shot. It's a good, it's a good moment. And honestly, another one that just, one of those scenes is just as a parent, you can't get your head out of it. Like the, the shot with the kid running towards the, the army that you just mentioned a second ago. It's, uh, <laughs> it, you know, it's just one of those uh, that'll, that'll never get out of my head either. So uh, there, is a, there are a number of shots in this movie that would easily make my best shot of many movies. But I, I, I think the wheat's the one that I will always remember. But there's some other really great stuff in here. Best scene, Ryan. There's too many good scenes. <laughs> just like the best shot. I, I It's hard to choose. So I just chose something. It's kind of the cliche or, or it's often quoted when are you not entertained? But again, watching the film yesterday, with the critical eye, just rewatching that sequence. And it really does. There's a reason why it's such a well-known scene because it, 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 it encapsulates everything about the film, the, the, about the violence and his position in violence because he was a soldier before becoming a gladiator. So now he's using his abilities to fight for his country or his, you know, what he thought was a righteous cause for Rome. He's now doing it for entertainment. You know, his ability to fight and be such an awesome, amazing fighter. He's now doing it for, it's kind of a gross reason. And he's doing it to keep, he has to do it or else he's dead. So he's doing it to stay alive. So he chucks down a sword. You know, are, you, you know, just, are you guys entertained? Is this fantastic? Boy, isn't this so wonderful? I'm killing all these innocents for you. Isn't this fun? You know, fake clapping his hands almost at the crowd. So that's a really a great moment because he hates that he has to do this. And he's disgusted by the spectacle. And that's just what makes you love him even more. So uh, incredible scene for a reason. It's a great one. It's like watching Nikola Jokic play pickup with people. Like he's just, you know, he's just, <laughs> he's just so much better than everybody. And, you know, it's funny to watch him. It's like these other people are playing his game of war if you will at an amateur's level and he's uh even 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 when he's in the battle of Gaul. uh how about you uh chad what about you i like the scene where commodus is sitting with lucius on his lap as he's telling him this story and lucilla comes in and the story gets darker and darker and he starts looking at lucilla who does a great bit of acting she's crying when he says Tell me what you've been, you've done, you busy little bee. And just the way he, his inflection, his pacing, it is chilling. And you really feel for Lucilla in that moment of, oh, he knows. He knows and I am done. That's a good one. My, mine, I'm going to go, I got to go with the action scene here. The Battle of Carthage. It's the first arena battle with the chariots and you know, Maximus brings all the the gladiators together as if they're soldiers to draw them into the middle with their shields. It's just one of those moments where you see what a kind of leader he is. And it is, they're not supposed to win. So, right. so it's so cool to see this, you know, him guide these men to victory. It's a very exciting scene. Love it. Best wardrobe or makeup moment, Ryan. Uh, I'll be uh, quick to the point on this one. I just I love it when uh, Russell Russell Crowe or when Maximus throws on that uh, that face mask to cover his identity. It's such an iconic look. Uh, it just looks so badass. <laughs> Something about that it puts on this. It's almost creepy and scary looking in its own right. And I just I love that whole getup. And then uh, also to kind of 
tag that a little bit when he's uh, the scene where he's talking about the horses to the boy when he's wearing the armor there is a really nice little touch there about his past regarding the two horses so I think they're also to represent his, his son and his wife but um, yeah uh, but the, the mask is it's pretty iconic mask it's pretty cool mm, yeah absolutely Chad how about you I'm on board with all of Commodus's outfits but when he's going to see Marcus I think that's my favorite one because he's chosen purple Purple is the color of royalty. He's expecting to get good news. So everything about his robe in purple, I, I love. Now, if I was a history major, I would have known that purple thing, but, you know. <laughs> yeah. Mine's going to be a commonest one, but I'm going to go with the black armor, where he's got, like, this, like, metal fig leaves behind his ears. He's got the gold chains on for his cape, and the silver detailing of his black armor is just very cool. Uh, it's, it's great detail work. And they always make him have dark like circles and stuff under his eyes. I mean, when I first first met the character, there was one thing that made me always kind of question what the makeup that, that was on comics would be like, like, is he on drugs or something? Like, I mean, is he like, <laughs> you know, like, but no, he's just creepy. Just creepy. Yeah. Not drugs. So, all right. Uh, change one thing. If you could, if you had to, in this case, probably Brian, if you had to change one thing, what would it be? I mean, I guess I spoke to maybe a little bit of, you know, I, I don't know. It's hard to say. Um, maybe the biggest critique I had watching it again was the battle. As much as I says, you know, that whole battle sequence at the beginning. But when it when it, the battle sequence ends kind of badly, there you go. So it starts off great with the catapults that aren't supposed to be there and the fire and everything else about it is amazing. But it does end with a whimper. So they sh- I. I would change that. I would I would somehow have the segue between their victory being a little bit more. It, it seemed to be a kind of a whimper type victory, uh, it, the way it was filmed. So yeah, I would say get some better lighting. Don't do that weird choppy edit, and uh, that's yeah. probably something I would make a little bit better. Have that ending battle end better. That's it, fair. Yeah, that's fair. Chad, how about you? I, this is where I lose Ryan because as wonderful as the score is, and I truly do, I think it's awesome. Pirates of the Caribbean is a problem and it's a problem to the point of where I'm distracted watching this movie. So mm. I want that one theme that has become pirates theme. I need a different song from Hans Zimmer. I need a different score for that one specific theme. Everything else can stay but that one. You got to do something different, Mr. Zimmer. Wow. That's surprising. They did it here first. I know, and part yeah, that's of- what I was going to say. I don't. Know what I was like, which one came out first? I think it was Gladiator, wasn't it? it yeah, it was definitely this one. But it, like I said, this is uh, this is hurt for Johnny Cash. He did it after Nine Inch Nails. Trent Reznor said, "You know what? That's his now. Uh, this the theme to this is now Pirates." Okay, well, my change one thing is going to be when Juba tosses Maximus a sword. He actually calls out to him and says, "Maximus." Have this sword, basically. <laughs> We're not supposed to know that that's Maximus at this point. Nobody's supposed to know that it is. So you know what? That's that's the Roman equivalent of Matthew at this point. There are a lot of Matts out there. There are a lot of Maximus. I don't know. I felt like everyone was just calling him the Spaniard. So he should have just been like, Spaniard, here's a sword. Yeah, so, like, I mean, just a small continuity thing. Little, tiny thing. So, uh, best quote, if you had to pick a best quote which i think we've talked about some iconic ones ryan how about you is your favorite quote you have uh there's again there's too many uh but this is kind of a deep hole here maximus says i knew i 
I knew a man once who said, death smiles at us all. All a man can do is smile back. And then uh, Commodus answers, I wonder, did your friend smile at his own death? I mean, that's just a great little moment. And then Maximus replies, you must know he was your father. Right. And so, then he does unfortunately stab him and says, smile for me now. Yeah. So that's a great moment. I mean, even though Maximus kind of gets the gets the bad end of it, but it's uh, the line, though, death smiles at us all and we can do smile back. That's kind of a good mantra for life. It's like, hey, we're all going to experience what we're going to experience, but all you can do is smile back and just t- take life head on. So that's, that's the part of that scene that I like right there. Chad, how about you? He'll bring them death and they'll love him for it. Mm. That was Gracchus's assessment of Commodus. Was real Commodus actually popular for, for all of his games? No. No. Okay. I'm going to go with, are you not entertained? It's, it's just, it's the, what I think of when I think of this movie. You know, the, are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? So. Mm-hmm. All right. It's a, it's a classic scene for a reason. So there's no shame in that. Uh, now, we've come full circle, but before we rate this movie, Ryan, please tell us once again where we can hear more from you on Rocky, uh, Going the Distance podcast, and Rocky won one last round, and Rambo, It's a Long Road podcast, because that's a lot of podcasting efforts, and we want you to remind people where you can buy all this stuff. Yeah, if you want, you can just why you can go to my Twitter, uh, Ryan Rebalkin, that's R E B A L K I N, and it kind of shows where you know the, the shows that I host. Uh, but again, it's one more round of the Rocky Series podcast, or it's a long road, the Ramble Series podcast. If you just Google Rocky Series podcast or Ramble Series podcast, I'll come up, and that's how you'll find me, whether it's on YouTube or uh, any podcast app you use. I'm on all those apps and on YouTube as well. I always kind of plug my YouTube because. We do visual as well, so like you can see, we talk to the movie scenes, and it's surprising how much gets cleared on YouTube, where you can watch a lot of the movie uh, with us. So yeah. All right. Well, as I've queued it up here, five star scale, half star intervals. Ryan, what would you give this movie, Gladiator? Well, out of five stars, well, five, absolutely. All right. I like yeah. it. I like it, Chad. I think I know where this is going, Chad. This is my favorite movie of all time. It is five stars. <laughs> and I will not be different. I will give you five stars as well. You will have 15 nice. stars from the three of us. So wow. I love nice. this movie and it's great. I mean, it may not be, I might not have it as my number one movie of all time that Chad does, but it's, it's very, very, very good. So I love this movie. Chad, you want me to help me pick a movie for next time? I do, and you'll have to excuse me because Russell has asked me to do an impression. Everybody else does good impressions. I will do a poor one for you. Good evening. We have three Alfred Hitchcock films to select from tonight. And that's the end of that. Uh, Option one, Dial M for Murder from 1954. A former tennis star arranges the murder of his adulterous wife. Option two, Strangers on a Train from 1951. Psychopathic man tries to forcibly persuade a tennis star to agree to his theory that two strangers can get away with murder by submitting to his plan to kill the other's most hated person. I promise these all aren't going to be about tennis people. Option three, to catch a thief. From 1955, a retired jewel thief sets out to prove his innocence after being suspected of returning to his former occupation. Well, that one has no tennis in it, so not that one. So Absolutely. I'm going to go with... Yeah, I'm going to go with Strangers on a Train uh, from 1951 there. I'm looking forward to this one. Never seen it before. Great pick. Great pick. All right. Well, Ryan, thank you very much for coming on. You are Ottawa's finest coming on here. This is great. This was having a lot of fun having you on here, man. Thank you. Pleasure.
and Chad, and to all the Lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, we invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you, so subscribe, rate, and review to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe on our YouTube channel. Give us a like on Facebook, Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And producing and providing us podcasts is fun but not free, so we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon forward slash retromovieroundtable. All contributions are much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always... Be good to each other and watch more movies. Chat. I put no stock in religion. By the word religion, I have seen the lunacy of fanatics of every denomination be called the will of God. Holiness is in right action and courage on belief of those who cannot defend themselves. And goodness, what God desires is here. And here, in what you decide to do every day, you will be a good man or not.